Han Solo. I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. Chewie here tells me you're looking for passage to the Alderaan system. Yes, indeed. If it's a fast ship. Fast ship? You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? Should I have? It's a ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. I've outrun Imperial starships. Not the local bulk cruisers, mind you. I'm talking about the big Karelian ships now. She's fast enough for you, old man. Do you remember the first time you ever saw a Star Wars figure? Maybe you were one of the lucky ones whose parents surprised you with an early bird kit during the holiday season of 1977. Maybe you waited for months for the toys to arrive, checking the mailbox every day once you came home from school. The figures and toys released during the era of The Empire Strikes Back might have been your introduction into the Kenner line. Seeing Yoda for the first time and putting his cane into his hand and placing the orange or brown snake around his neck as R2-D2 sang into the foam ground of the Dagobah playset and Bespin Luke fought the apparition of Darth Vader on moving platforms. Or maybe the toys from Return of the Jedi capture your memories of childhood. Chief Chirpa and the rest of the Ewoks protecting the brown and beige Ewok village from the approaching stormtroopers. The Imperial shuttle touching down on your driveway as the Emperor arrives on the second Death Star. For many, the Power of the Force figures released by Kenner in the mid-1990s offer the first taste of a trilogy that ended more than a decade earlier and they were soon followed by all new characters, as well as some familiar faces from Episode 1 and the following sequels to the prequel trilogy of the early 2000s. And each day, more and more people are discovering Star Wars through the figures and toy stores all over the world. Some of us are reconnecting with our love of the films and figures of our childhood through newer toys from series like The Clone Wars or Star Wars Rebels, or from films like The Force Awakens and Rogue One. Whether you collect vintage Star Wars toys or the modern ones created in recent decades, have you ever stopped to wonder how these toys came to be? Many of us collect prototypes of these toys, the pieces that were part of the process in the creation of the toy. But if someone were to ask you to explain that process, do you really understand how a Star Wars toy goes from concept to collectible? For most of us, the answer is no. And that's okay. We've never worked for a company like Kenner or Hasbro and haven't had the opportunity to design a toy ourselves. But an understanding of the pre-production process of a Star Wars toy may help us to better appreciate the figures and items we collect, as well as their history and the artistry behind their design. This is a look at how a Star Wars figure is made. This is the second episode in the Collecting Prototypes series. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. Star systems will slip through your fingers. I want to learn the ways 
use the Force and become a Jedi like my father. The Force will be with you. Always. Welcome back to the Collecting Prototype series. Today I'd like to explore the process behind making a Star Wars figure with you. More and more Star Wars collectors are venturing into other parts of the hobby in exciting ways. Recently I've seen vintage collectors expand into some of the modern lines, and some of the modern collectors are now hunting the original Kenner figures. One of the most exciting and fastest growing areas of our hobby right now is the world of prototypes. As we discussed in the previous episode, the word prototype has been used in a general manner in our hobby, loosely describing any item that was part of the creation process of a specific toy, before reaching the final production example that would make it to the store shelves. And while many of the first Star Wars prototype collectors began hunting these pieces decades ago, today, these prototypes are more available than ever. Some come from former Kenner and Hasbro employees, while others were salvaged from factories in China. They are sold on marketplace sites like eBay and are listed within collecting groups like Facebook's Prototype Exchange and Deal or No Deal. Collectors have the opportunity to purchase prototypes and pre-production pieces at toy shows and from vendors at Star Wars-themed events like Celebration. Thanks to the modern and vintage prototype markets, collectors are able to hunt for items at various price points. And because the modern lines offer figures from the original trilogy, as well as ones from today's Star Wars stories, collectors are able to focus on any character or line that grabs their interest. Many vintage collectors add modern prototype pieces as extensions of their already established runs, and a number of modern collectors have added a vintage prototype piece or two as a centerpiece to their collections. Regardless of whether you're spending $20 or $20,000 on a Star Wars prototype, it is important to know exactly what you're buying and why something like a resin hard copy may be more valuable than a plastic first shot. And that knowledge comes from a fuller understanding of the process of a toy and its various stages. I'm not an expert on this, and I would never claim to be. In fact, I started this series for two main reasons, to share the excitement I've experienced collecting prototypes, and to both gain and offer a better understanding of the process and the history of the toys we all love. In researching this episode, I used many different resources in order to create the most vivid and accurate picture of the process, in a way that is also easy to comprehend. My goal is to explore the various stages in greater detail in future episodes. So let's start with a basic overview of how a Star Wars character becomes a toy. I decided to jump back to the early 2000s to look at how Hasbro created some of the earlier modern Star Wars figures, since the methods used were pretty similar to the way Kenner created the toys in the 1970s and 1980s. The process at Hasbro has changed a bit in recent years, and I plan on exploring that in greater detail in future episodes. But for now, it's more important that you and I develop a general overall understanding. And with that, we're ready to enter the world of collecting prototypes. The Pitch The year is 2001. You're part of a team at Hasbro and are working on the latest Star Wars figure line, The Power of the Jedi. It is the first line produced after 1999's Episode One series, and in addition to being a very popular line thus far, it also aims to be inclusive of all the films produced up to that point. 
By this point, the figures have moved away from the He-Man proportioned ones of the 1990s and are wonderful representations of the characters from the Star Wars universe. So if you were a designer at Hasbro during that time, before you began the process of creating a toy, you'd need to figure out what character or creature you were going to make. And the earliest step would be the pitch. Let's say you were going to pitch making a new 3 and 3 quarter inch Han Solo figure for the present Star Wars line. Hasbro produced a Han Solo last year in his Bespin outfit. And this coming year, Hasbro wants to release another version of the fan-favorite hero and are looking to the team to come up with a unique take on Han. It's been two years since the last Han from A New Hope was produced, and the team decides to make one which captures the iconic moment from the scene in which he and Chewbacca encounter a fleet of stormtroopers as they're running through a corridor heading back to the Millennium Falcon. The figure would be dressed in his outfit from A New Hope, but the distinguishing feature would be the addition of a stormtrooper belt he picked up earlier in the film. The team working on the pitch create concept presentation boards to present to leadership both at Hasbro and at Lucasfilm for approval. Presentation boards for this particular Han Solo would include photos of Han from the specific scene in the film and would be accompanied by a conceptual drawing or drawings as well. These presentation boards highlight the character and help to illustrate the team's intent to the decision makers at Hasbro and Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm may choose to go with a different Han Solo figure, one from another scene in A New Hope, or one from a completely different film. Or the idea of a Han figure may be scrapped completely. The Sculpting Input However, it is determined that a Death Star Escape Han will be produced for Hasbro's Power of the Jedi line. Once the team receives approval for the figure, a sculpting designer creates something called a sculpting input. What is a sculpting input? Very simply, it's a drawing that would give the sculptor a fuller idea of how the figure should look. The image would focus on the figure's potential pose and would often show the figure from multiple angles. Key information would be included in this sculpting input, like the dimensions and size of the figure, as well as any parts of articulation, and how accessories like cloth or plastic goods, like tunics or belts, would attach and sit on the figure. So our new Death Star Escape Han would be drawn at a certain height and would be posed like he was in the process of chasing the stormtroopers down the corridor of the Death Star and stopped short, startled that the troopers are now chasing him. His left foot would be stretched forward and the figure would be leaning back on his right foot with the upper half of his body drawn back as if he were surprised and ready to flee. Both hands would be supporting his stormtrooper blaster with his right hand on the grip and the other supporting the barrel. His expression would match the shock of the incoming attack. The input sculpt drawing would highlight many of Han's details, how the sleeves of his shirt should bunch up around his bicep, how his vest would hang on his frame while he's in that pose, how the collar of his shirt would fall a little on his right shoulder. From the back, the sculptor would get an idea of the pattern of Han's vest and how the belt sits on his hips and the pattern of wrinkles behind his kneecaps where his posed legs bend. 
The industrial designer may also make notes to accompany his sculpting input drawing to better help explain important aspects of the drawing to the sculptor. At this point, the engineering team analyzes the sculpting input drawing to review the figure's articulation and to make sure a 3D toy will be able to match the specifications within the sculpting input. Our Death Star Escape Han Solo also goes through a cost engineering process to determine the price of producing a figure like this. A potential delivery date is established, as well as whether accessories or parts of the intended figure can be added or eliminated, depending on the budget. Sculpting. And once the cost for our Death Star Escape Han Solo figure is approved, the process of making the 3D version of the toy officially begins. A sculptor will work from the sculpting input and pattern and reference drawings to create the version that will eventually become the plastic figure sold in stores. For the majority of the sculpting process, sculptors will use wax to create a figure. Wax can be heated, which makes it easy to remove pieces of it or to carve in a high level of detail. Expert sculptors are able to manipulate the wax for a figure to make it appear to be something as structured or as angular as an armored breastplate or helmet, or as soft as the wrinkled flow of a gown or pants, or something so fine as the way hair falls around a figure's head. And one of the benefits to wax is that it is an additive material meaning that when designing a piece of the figure, you can not only remove wax, but you can also add wax to it. It's easier to sculpt this way, as the sculptor is able to add any changes to the model, and can correct any mistakes along the way instead of having to start from scratch. Some sculptors opt to use clay in their first attempts at creating a figure. Known as a clay rough, it is more of a first draft to get the overall shape and pose of the figure, without focusing on any of the details. After creating a clay rough of a figure, a sculptor would then use it to make a silicone mold. The sculptor would then pour the wax into the mold, creating a wax sculpt, and would then use that wax sculpt to add the necessary detail and to refine the figure's features. And while most Star Wars figures are sculpted at the same size as their final production counterparts, sometimes sculptors would work in a totally different scale to better capture details. During the Kenner years in the 1980s, a figure like the Power of the Force EV-99 was sculpted as a two-up, which meant it was sculpted at twice the size. Some of the die-cast figures from the Star Wars Micro Collection were sculpted as four-ups, or four times the size, since the final versions of the figures would stand at a little over an inch in height. So, our Death Star Escape Han Solo likely would be sculpted in wax. Depending on the detail required and the level of difficulty of capturing the character's likeness, it may take a few weeks to finish a wax sculpt. Hasbro would then submit the final wax sculpt of Han to Lucasfilm for approval. After comparing it to the specifications and details from the sculpting input, Lucasfilm will either greenlight the production of the figure based on the wax sculpt, or will request specific revisions before the figure can be resubmitted.
A quick recap. Okay, so our wax sculpt for the new Death Star Escape Han Solo figure was finally approved by Lucasfilm. But before we go any further, let's recap the pre-production process of our Han Solo figure up to this point. The design team at Hasbro pitches a potential figure based on a character from a Star Wars property. In this case, Han Solo from A New Hope. They present both internally and to Lucasfilm using conceptual presentation boards with character photos and sketches. Lucasfilm approves the Death Star Escape Han Solo for Hasbro's Power of the Jedi line. A sculpting designer creates a reference drawing of what Han will look like as a figure, with size specifications, accessory and articulation details, as well as his pose. This will be the main reference guide for the sculptor. After an engineer examines the drawing for articulation purposes, the costs to produce the Han figure are determined and approved by Hasbro. A sculptor then sculpts the Han figure based on the sculpting input drawing and creates a highly detailed model known as a final wax, which is submitted to Lucasfilm for approval. Once Lucasfilm signs off on the final wax, the figure is ready to go into production. Smoky religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side. You don't believe in the Force, do you? Kid, I've flown from one side of this galaxy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff, but I've never seen anything to make me believe there's one all-powerful force controlling everything. There's no mystical energy field that controls my destiny. Casting. An overview. In the casting process, the Death Star Escape Han Solo figure now travels a path from a wax sculpt to becoming a plastic figure. But how do we get from wax to plastic? The easiest way to understand this concept at a surface level is to think of it as a simple five-part casting pattern. Number one, figure. Number two, mold. Number three, figure. Number four, mold. Number five, figure. See the pattern there? Now say it with me. Figure, mold, figure, mold, figure. One more time and count it off on the fingers of one hand. Figure, mold, Figure, mold, figure. I know it sounds silly this way, but I doubt you'll ever forget it. I'm trying to simplify it to its most basic form so you can better understand the overall process first. So in this five-part pattern of figure, mold, figure, mold, figure, there are three figures and two molds. Each figure and each mold is composed of a unique material and each one is used to make the next step in the process. Each figure is used to make a mold, and each mold is used to make a figure. The first figure is our wax sculpt. Then, the wax sculpt is used to create a silicon mold. After that, resin is poured into the silicon mold to make a hard copy figure. The hard copy figure is then used to make a steel mold and the steel mold is the vehicle from which the plastic figures are produced. So using our figure, mold, figure, mold, figure example, the five-step process would read as wax figure, silicon mold, resin hard copy, steel mold, plastic figure. Got it? Good. Let's get back to making our Han Solo figure as we examine each of the steps in greater detail.
Silicon Molds. So we left off with our wax sculpt of Han Solo. Wax is great for sculpting and for capturing detail, but wax sculpts are very fragile. In order to make the steel molds to eventually produce the figures in plastic, we first need to produce a more durable prototype, which is our resin hard copy. And the way to make a resin hard copy based on the wax sculpt is to first create a mold of the sculpt, into which we'll eventually pour the resin. A figure like our Death Star Escape Han Solo would have five parts of articulation. That means five parts of the completed figure will be movable. His head, his two arms, and his two legs. On the wax sculpt, these five moving parts would be removable from the static body. And so each part would have its own silicon mold on its way to becoming a hard copy. The best way to imagine this part of the process would be to envision the wax sculpt of Han Solo's head in the center of a block of hardened silicon. If you were to split the rubbery block in two so that the front half of the block would show the imprint of his face and the other half would show an imprint of the back of his head, once you remove the wax head, you would have a cavity in the shape of Han's complete head. And when you put both blocks back together and fill the cavity with a liquid resin, once that resin hardened, you would have a hard copy Han Solo head that matched the wax sculpt. And so, two-part silicon molds of each limb and body part would be made by hand for the Han Solo figure. Workers in the casting department would then pour resin into each mold, letting each one harden before removing it. The pieces are then cleaned up, removing imperfections through sanding and smoothing. The pieces are then attached to the body using metal or plastic cylindrical pins. For example, a pin would be used to connect an arm to the upper torso by putting one side of a pin into a hole at the shoulder of the arm and the other into a hole on the inside of the torso. In the same way, a pin would connect the head to the top of the torso, acting as a sort of spinal column. Since the resin pieces are cast from the silicon molds, which were created from the wax sculpt, the finished hard copy would be the same size as the wax sculpt. The sculptors would purposefully sculpt our Han Solo figure slightly larger than its intended production size, about 4%. Why would they do this? There's a very simple answer. When we go from a hard copy to a plastic version of the figure, the plastic will shrink in the steel mold process. So in order to account for the inevitable shrinkage, the sculptor will sculpt the Han at 104% to make sure that by the end of the process, it's at 100%, or its originally intended size. Hard copies. So at this point, the casting department has gone through the meticulous process of making a series of resin hard copies of the Death Star Escape Han Solo from the silicon molds. Hasbro will generally make around 10 hard copies of a Star Wars figure, and each one has a purpose. The most important one is called the Tooling Master. A Tooling Master is the example that will be used to make the eventual steel molds that will produce the plastic figure. It is imperative that this hard copy is without any flaws or cracks, and any imperfections would be fixed and smoothed using putty. 
All of the Death Star Escape Han Solo figures ever produced will come from this Tooling Master hard copy. Another important hard copy in this group would be a Paint Master. A Paint Master, also known as a Deco Master, is hand-painted by an artist to submit to Lucasfilm. This completed hard copy demonstrates how the final figure will appear, and once Lucasfilm approves it, the final part of production will begin. Painted hard copies are also used for photography, in advertisements, and at industry shows like Toy Fair and Star Wars Celebration. And some painted and unpainted hard copies are kept at Hasbro for reference, while others are sent overseas to the production factories. Steel Molds So Lucasfilm has approved the Paintmaster hard copy submitted by Hasbro, and we are ready to begin the final stage of production for our Death Star Escape Han Solo figure. Using the Tooling Master hard copy, which is our unpainted, flawless example, steel molds are created for the different parts of Han Solo. A machine called a pantograph traces the surface of the hard copy, and a milling machine carves the pantograph specifications into each steel mold. Steel molds are necessary for this part of the production process because unlike the rubbery silicon molds, steel molds are strong enough to withstand the production of thousands and thousands of figures. Hasbro may opt for multiple steel molds of each part of our Han Solo figure in order to increase the volume of production. Keep your distance, though, Chewie. But don't look like you're trying to keep your distance. I don't know. Fly casual. Recap. Let's do another quick recap of the process of making our Han Solo figure up to this point. The Hasbro design team pitches the figure to be made for its Power of the Jedi line, and Lucasfilm approves the concept. A sculpting input drawing is made that serves as the model for the sculptor. After being approved by the engineer, and after the costs and specifications for the toy's design are approved by Hasbro, the sculptor begins to create the first 3D representation of the figure based on the sculpting input. The sculptor creates a final wax, which is delivered to Lucasfilm for approval. Once the final wax is approved, the casting department uses the wax sculpt to produce two-part silicone molds of each part of the figure. Using these silicon molds, roughly 10 hard copies are made by hand. Each one is then cleaned up, and a painted hard copy, known as a Deco Master or Paint Master, is submitted to Lucasfilm. Some of the hard copies are used for reference internally at Hasbro, some are shipped to the factories as reference models, and others are used at industry events and in photography. One unpainted hard copy, called the Tooling Master, becomes the model which will be responsible for all of the plastic figures produced. A pantograph machine traces the Tooling Master's surfaces, and a milling machine uses that data to carve a copy of that Tooling Master into a steel mold. The steel mold is strong enough to then produce the first plastic examples of our Han Solo figure.
engineering pilots. At this point, the steel molds of each part of our Han Solo Death Star escape figure would be installed into a heavy-duty injection molding machine. The purpose of a molding machine is to inject heated liquid plastic into the steel molds to produce the plastic versions of our figures that will eventually appear on toy shelves. Steel molds are not only able to be used over and over to make thousands of toys, but the steel is strong enough to withstand the pressure and heat required to forcefully inject the molten plastic into the mold. Plastic pellets are put into the molding machine, and a vacuum system completely removes any moisture. The plastic is heated to liquid form, and then it is injected or shot into the mold filling up the cavity of each mold, creating a plastic example of each part of the Han Solo figure. These first plastic examples of our figure are called engineering pilots. They are commonly known as first shots because they are the first examples injected or shot into the molds. First shots are used to test the molds to make sure the injection process completely fills that mold cavity, and that the product coming out of it, like a leg or a head, is complete and without any flaws. As I mentioned earlier, our initial wax sculpt is generally 4% larger to allow for shrinkage. After the liquid plastic is injected into the mold, and as the plastic cools, it will shrink to its intended size. Very simply, it will go from 104% to 100, and every figure produced from the steel mold will be at 100%. In testing the molds, Whatever colored plastic pellets are in the machine at the time are used, which can result in some pretty uniquely colored figures. And that is why you might see a green and orange Darth Vader, a pink Stormtrooper, or even a blue C-3PO. As plastic figures, the main indicator of a first shot is the lack of copyright dates, which are usually found on the leg, foot, or back of a production figure. The copyright markings and possibly peg holes in the bottoms of the feet will be added in a later step to the molds once the figure is approved at the first shot stage. The factory will produce a round of painted first shots known as paint samples. These paint samples still lack the copyright dates, but in being painted, they will most closely resemble what the final figure will look like. Once our Han Solo paint sample figure is approved by Lucasfilm, copyright dates will be added to the molds, and a final run of first shots with copyrights are produced in order to test the updated mold as well as the figure. The Death Star Escape Han Solo is now ready for production, and thousands of these figures will be made on the molding machine. Well, you said it, Chewie. Where did you dig up that old fossil? Cardback design. During this process, the packaging department will create a Lucasfilm-approved card back for the Death Star Escape Han Solo. Since our Han is part of a previously established figure line, in this case the Power of the Jedi series, the card back is a generic one that can be used for many figures. The card back contains an image of Episode One's Obi-Wan in front of a large Darth Vader helmet in the top left and an orange stripe on the top right with the words Collection 1 over it to indicate the group to which the Han belongs. The Star Wars Power of the Jedi logo is presented in front of a yellow starburst above where the figure will be attached to the card back. The carded figure will come with a Jedi Force file, a double-sided five-page booklet that provides information and statistics of the character on which the figure is based. 
The Jedi Force file is an insert positioned next to the figure on the card, and is sealed against the card by the extended bubble. On the card back, there is a cutout behind the Force file, which would allow the back of the file to be displayed. The back would contain a brief bio and some vital statistics of the character. In addition to being an information packet for each character, the Force file also served an economic purpose. The front of the Force file contained the name of the figure, and since it was a separate item from the card back, Hasbro was able to produce a generic card back that could be used for every figure in the line. Sir, it's quite possible this asteroid is not entirely stable. Not entirely stable? I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Chewie, take the professor in the back and plug him into the hyperdrive. <laughs> Final engineering pilots. With our Death Star Escape Han Solo figure nearing the end of its development, it enters the final engineering pilot stage. Final engineering pilots, also known as mock-ups or carded samples, demonstrate how the figure will be packaged. An early carded sample of Han may use a first-shot figure that is painted or unpainted, or it may include a completed production figure. The card back may be one from a previously completed figure in the line, like a Chewbacca or Biker Scout, if the one for the Han figure isn't quite ready yet. Often, white cardboard or proof sheets from Star Wars and random toy lines will be used, in the same way the initial first shots were created from whatever colored paint pellets were in the mold machines. The goal of the carded sample is to ensure that the presentation of the product looks right, and that all of the pieces work together. For instance, that the tray and the bubble will properly support the figure, or that the figure's accessories are prominently displayed, and that the packaging itself won't damage the figure. Different departments would have to sign off on the design. A final carded sample, one that represents what the carded figure would look like in stores, would be submitted to Lucasfilm for approval. With Lucasfilm's blessing, our Death Star Escape Han Solo officially enters the production phase and will eventually find its way into retail stores to be sold to Star Wars fans and collectors around the world. Hey, Luke. May the Force be with you. So that is a basic look at how a Star Wars figure is made. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I am certainly no expert on this process. I have spent years learning about it, and am still trying to understand a lot of it. And here are some of the public resources I used in researching this episode. The Star Wars Collector's Archive Lexicon. Found at the SWCA.com, it's packed with definitions of terms used within the development and production of the toys, as well as the terms used by prototype collectors. Thank you to Chris Dragulius, Isaac Lev, and all of the other contributors who have made the lexicon an essential learning tool. An article titled, How Are Action Figures Made? The Toy Pre-Production Process, found at the website thetoyarchives.com. Thank you to Mark Vanis for taking the time to craft an easy-to-understand explanation of the different steps in creating a figure. An article titled Concept to Toy Shelves, found at the website prototypearchives.com. Thank you to modern Star Wars prototype collector Brandon Vise for your concise but informative presentation on the overall design and production process. 
an article titled Figure Creation Process by longtime collector Robert Musco for the defunct but hopefully returning modern prototype collecting website Behind the Toys. Robert's contribution is an immensely thorough explanation of the production of a modern Star Wars figure. The book Gus and Duncan's Guide to Star Wars Prototypes. If you don't already own this book, please buy it today. My thanks to Gus and Duncan for having the foresight to create this book more than a decade ago. It is a visual Bible that explains elements of the production process with photos of pre-production pieces from the Kenner Star Wars lines. I am also indebted to the prototype collectors who have led discussions on the various social media Star Wars and pre-production groups, and have freely and willingly shared information to educate others. And over the years, I have been blessed through the kindness of friends like Peter LaRose and Anthony Pagano and many, many others who have helped me to better understand the overall process, along with the details and stories associated with the production of Star Wars toys. And like you, I'm still learning about our hobby, and I find myself learning something new every day. It seems like new discoveries are being made almost weekly, and we as a community are stewards of this hobby. We're able to share what we've learned in order to tell the larger story of Kenner, Hasbro, and more than 40 years of Star Wars toys. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Prototypes and Production, and for being a part of the Collecting Prototype series. Keep learning, keep asking questions, and keep hunting for those Star Wars treasures.